Welcome to Modern Career. I'm your host, Mary Humiston. You may be thinking about changing, advancing, or even reinventing your career. We want to help you do that and live your full potential. In each episode, I cover work and career topics, leveraging my 30 plus years of global HR leadership and through interviews with other career experts and professionals from around the world. Subscribe today and visit modern-career.com for blog posts, career stories, career coaching and workshops, and more. Let's jump into our next episode. Welcome to Keys to Success from a Talent Expert. Our guest today is Jorge Aisa Dreyfus. Jorge is the Executive Vice President of Talent Capability and Culture at Sage, a global market leader for financial management and people technology. Jorge is a deeply experienced talent, leadership, and development leader who's worked globally for companies such as Citigroup, Honeywell, HSBC, and Bupa. He earned his master's degree at the London School of Economics and speaks English, Spanish, and French. Jorge grew up in northern Spain and currently lives with his family in the UK in London. He also has a passion for swimming and for the past 10 years has been swimming year-round outdoors, including in the very, very cold weather. Welcome, Jorge, and thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Mary. Delighted to be your guest. Just to jumpstart in, tell us a little bit about your own career journey. How did you happen to choose HR? I'm always fascinated by how people choose to go into whatever they choose to do. So what led you to choose HR as a career path and what also brought you to the UK? Thank you. Excellent question. And I like what happened and and what do you make happen? I think some things in, in life happen to you and other things you make happen. So there's probably a mix of both on that one. But I was studying business, a general degree in business. And I had one topic, which was close to organizational psychology, I think it was called. And I fell in love with it. I really realized that that was, you know, of much more interest than the accounting that I had to do and the macroeconomics that I also had to study. So I ended up finishing that, but also doing in Spain a degree in psychology and specializing in social psychology. So I guess there is a a topic that caught my attention, a professor that made that topic particularly relevant for me. And from there, I ended up doing internships and in HR and, you know, decided that that was going to be what at least what it was going to start my career you know, at. Now, in regards to the path to London, and London is, I have a a love affair with because I've lived four different times. I had an internship in the UK, in in Cardiff, in Wales. I spent six months in winter and also in a related to HR type of experience. I then did my master's in the UK. So that was the second time that I came and this was a little bit longer. It was nine months instead of six. Then my first job assignment was also, as it happened to be in the UK, and I lived close to a year. And I then went and lived in the US, and then I came back in October 2001. And in fact, I did that following who was going to become my wife. She was posted in London, and I was able to negotiate with my employer at the time that if I could take my job to the UK, and they agreed. So yeah, there's something special about the UK, at least for me, and we've now made it you know, home. 
Ah, I can understand that having lived there several times myself. And were you, when you were in the UK, in and out of London or other cities? No, I've mainly lived in, in London. So I'm probably more of a Londoner than a true you know, British individual yet. I have not quite uh, transformed, but I do like porridge and I've given up coffee and embraced tea. <laughs> so I have, you know, I have certainly embraced some of the more typical, you know, English habits uh-huh. having uh, been here so, you know, so long. So, Jorge, in your role, being a head of the vantage point of the head of talent and where you sit in the organization, you clearly have a good view towards how the landscape of the workplace is changing. And we know it's changing quite a bit and much is unfolding even as we speak. What do you see? What things might you call out that you see from your vantage point? Mary, you're absolutely right. I mean, we live in a fascinating, you know, time and, you know, very, very relevant, you know, question. And if anything, I would describe the pandemic as the great accelerator, because I think some of the things that we have observed over the last few years seems to me that they have just increased or gone faster. So, I mean, we're all aware of the change in demographics. You know, I think that we are all very much aware that we will be working for longer and we'll probably have multiple careers. And we're beginning to see that on the, you know, on the workplace. We have done in the past some work with Linda Grattan from LBS on the 100-year life. So I think that there is, that's one of the macro trends that we can, you know, we can see. There's certainly the macro trend around technology and how we interact, you know, with it. You know, I, I'm lucky enough that I did join the workforce where emails were available, you know, but, you know, not as common. I mean, we now have, you know, the digital first and the cloud first, you know, workforce that is very much, you know, amongst us. So for sure, the way that we interact with artificial intelligence, machine learning, augmented reality is shaping the way that we work and is only going to continue. So the, there are going to be more ways in which we interact, you know, differently going forward. On that point, do you see a lot of that in your own workplace? Yes, certainly. Early days or it's, where would you say it's at? I think because we are in software, you know, we see more of, you know, more of that. So, you know, we, A, on the talent side, we, I think, Every organization around the world is desperately looking for experts in AI, ML, augmented reality, data, and I think that's only going to, you know, to increase. But also that the way that we, you know, that we operate, the way that you can get bots help, you know, process some of the transactions that we do. So I think that that is, we're just, I would say, at the beginning of what that may look like. The other thing, Mary, that I think is worth you know highlighting is that we can keep on looking for things that will be different. And there are some that we are aware of, demographics, technology, but there are also things that I believe you know will continue to be critical. And the power of relationships is one that comes quickly to mind. And it's funny because I work for a software company, so some would argue that, oh, but you know what, Sage, really, really relationship oriented. You know, our organization is based on trust with our customers. That's critical for us. Our organization is based on trust between colleagues. That's critical for us. And those are things that I do not see changing. You know, frankly, I don't see changing in my lifetime at, you know, at least. You know, the power of empathy, the power of purpose, the power of emotional intelligence, the power of recognizing each other for what we do, for recognizing our customers. Those are things that, you know, remain very much at the core of who we are. And we are human. And in fact, as it happens, human is one of our values here at, you know, at Sage. So despite or 
maybe because we are a technology company, we are very, very keen to be a human technology you know, organization. And that's really critical for, you know, for us. Now, at the moment, I mean, a lot of the debate seems to be focusing in terms of changes in terms of not only how we work, we've, we've just spoken a little bit, but where we work. There's a lot of debate about, you know, are we going to go back? And, and I think everybody's now clear that hybrid is the way to go. And we have just survived, all of us, and it has been tough at times for sure, you know, one of the biggest experiments that we have, you know, seen, which is, I think, if I would have gone to uh, our CEO three years ago and I would have said that, why don't we all work from home? Let's and let's try to do that in two weeks. I, I think he would have called a doctor to make sure you know my head was in the right you know in the right place. Nevertheless, that's what we did. Not only my organization, most organizations around the world that could you know quickly move to you know remote working fully. Now that things have you know significantly improved, I think we're all having the debate about what's the right balance. What's the right balance in this new hybrid way of you know of working? And there are some companies that have openly declared, you know, for us, look, it's work wherever you want. You know, we don't care. We don't even ask. We have declared a different point of view, which is we think that something special you know happens when people get together. Both you know when you get them together formally, but also part of the secret or the magic is when you know, you get them together impromptu, you know, the conversation down the corridor, the idea that starts, you know, at the coffee break and is finished at the end of the day with another conversation that you had not planned to, you know, to have. So at least our point of view is that, yes, hybrid is here to stay and, you know, we will, you know, support that. But as an organization, and I happen to be in agreement with this, we see that there's something special that happens when people are together. So we will encourage our colleagues to come together. Now, it won't be like in the past, five days a week, nine to five type of mentality, that's gone. But it will be in some sort of shape, way or form, because you know, after all, we are human. And humans, you know, we are social animals and something special, we believe, happens when we get together. So those are some of the things of changes and trends that we're seeing and how we are looking to manage some of those. Let's talk about leadership in this point you make about the power of relationship. You know, as we look at what's emerging in terms of leadership and what what's needed now and ahead in terms of how you lead to have, you know, the most amount of impact. What are your thoughts on what are you seeing now? And what do you think is important? So I think one of the changes and one of the things that we are observing a couple of thoughts come to that you know i've just mentioned hybrid so obviously leading in a hybrid environment particularly for leaders that may have been used to seeing their teams more regularly you know there's a big shift you know there but one of the other things that i observe is to me execution continues to be critical the ability for a leader to execute on whatever strategy has been put in place i think the difference is from my early years is that the meaning of execution has been amplified. Execution in the old days used to be hit your numbers. You know, what's the quarterly result? That's, you know, the sales target, revenue target, you know, whatever target might be the place. And it was probably quite narrowly defined. To me, today, execution goes way beyond that. You execute and you deliver for your overall stakeholders. It's not just a matter of, you know, hitting the number, but it's about how have you achieved that? What is the level of customer satisfaction? Is this sustainable? What's the impact on society? So we have really amplified what, you know, great execution looks like. So to me, leaders that understand that and can deliver 
you know, that in this bigger way. Those are leaders that, by the way, will have a learning mindset. So if I was also going to highlight another factor that I see emerging among our top leaders is that unsociable curiosity, you know, a desire to continue to learn and a commitment to continue to learn. And that way, I'm lucky enough that, you know, our CEO is committed to his own development. I've worked in other organizations where when you got to certain jobs and levels of senior leadership, you have arrived. You know, you were the person that had most of the answers. You were the person that were going to answer all the questions. I think the mindset has, you know, changed. No longer the top of the house, you know, sits thinking that they know it all. You know, they understand that they are always on a journey. Each one of us always is. And so I think that the commitment to that mindset growth, if you want to call it that, or learning mindset becomes really critical. And the final thing I would add is in regards to, to the how, again, I would highlight, you know, the ability to really relate and empathize, you know, whether it is because you're, you know, truly putting yourself on the shoes of your customers or because you truly can quickly understand what are the people implications of certain decisions those are some of the attributes that distinguish you know great leaders so two things one it's a you called it a big shift so i do wonder has the support for leaders growth and development caught up yet you know because again the world changed so fast as you said And some of these things were important before, but even more so now. And so, you know, there's an individual responsibility to grow as a leader and then organizations, you know, of course, help you. So is it on track, would you say, to accommodating leadership success and leadership impact in this big shift? And second, are these some of these areas you mentioned, you know, like curiosity and relating to people and empathy and the learning mindset? Are they things that are easy to develop in yourself? Great, great question again. The last one is nearly philosophical. I happen to believe that people have great potential. Now, have I come across in my career a couple of exceptions of people that <laughs> I would argue were <laughs> undeveloped for certain for certain skill? Yes, you know, probably there are certain personality traits or, or certain characteristics that make it much harder for someone to be very empathetic, you know, as an example. And there are people that, you know, bring that naturally more than, you know, more than others. But I think that with will and with awareness. And with desire, most of us, you know, can develop, you know, a good degree of the skills necessary to be successful in a work setting. I love that point, though, because will desire is a big deal, but awareness is huge, too, to really say, okay, you know, where am I on these things? And and realistically, you know, assess where do you need to grow and be motivated to do that? Yes. Yeah. So I think that that's really, you know, important around around that. On our ability to support our leaders in this, you know, in this. Broadly, you know, broadly, broadly what sure. you're seeing, because you, yeah. you, you have a great network of talent, learning, development professionals. So you have a good view of, you know, where are we on this journey? I've got two answers on, you know, on that. One is the one on my pessimistic day, which is we work with the most fascinating of the elements, which are humans. And I've now been in this business for 25 years, and there are some of the basics that I find ourselves teaching over and over and over again. You know, whether it is listening skills, whether it is, you know, presentation skills, there are things. And unlike in other areas of, of science where the next generations come 
at the next level up, so to speak, and you can keep on going up from the standard gets raised day in and day out. I think when it comes to some of the skills, you know, it's not quite the case. And I don't know if that's because maybe yet the educational system, the universities, the schools, you know, are not yet producing that. So as employers, we're still having to, you know, provide that more basic type of aspect, you know, Again, listening skills comes as something that you would think that in today's world, you know, people would come from schools, universities, educationals with, you know, mastering, you know, mastering that. And we still find that that's not quite the case. So it is sometimes when you work, particularly in the leadership development arena, a bit frustrating to kind of like be working still at the same level with the next generation versus working with the next level up. So that's one that's one thing. On the optimistic days, I think we do a much better job. I mean, there's a lot written about how many millions are spent in leadership development and what's the impact of it. I happen to believe that we're getting better at it through time. It's not, you know, it's certainly not, you know, not easy. And there's, you know, again, different views on the 70-20-10 rule in terms of development and so forth, but I think it's a good one to have always on your pocket. And I think that we are getting better at fostering that learning environment by which all our colleagues, you know, carry that learning mindset day in and day out. And if you take every hour, every day, every week, you know, every year as, you know, your learning playground, then, you know, you are equipping yourself towards, you know, towards the future. A job is not just a job. A job is a learning opportunity. It is the way in which, you know, you can bring your potential to the next, you know, to the next level. So sure, you know, having coaches and mentors in that 20%, you know, can make a big difference. And I think that we have seen great advancements in terms of coaching and mentoring that I think at some point it was much more of, you know, the equivalent of having a, a psychologist by your side if you were a senior executive. Now it's much more scientific, it's much more targeted, you know, methodologies have certainly improved. You know, we're very careful about who we put forward, who do we match, what are we after? So all of those things have certainly, you know, improved. So I think that that's another area. And then when it comes to, you know, the, the 10%, the more formal learning that executive development also, you know, also does. I think institutions, whether it's the business schools, and we happen to work with LBS, I've worked in the past with Duke CE, you know, they do much better job at not only addressing the theoretical question, but going deeper into the so what, now what. And I think all of us that are involved in learning are now much more driven by that question, which is, that's great. I now get it. But what am I going to do different? And what is going to be the first, you know, next, you know, step? So this shift as well, I'm curious if you're seeing broadly, you know, broadly, are you seeing any change to the pipeline of people who aspire to be a leader, given so much change in the world, you know, it's it's a big responsibility. It's certainly there's a balance of life question. It's it's not always easy to lead. So, are you seeing as much of a robust pipeline in the emerging in the generations coming into the pipeline to say yes, as many and as broad as it was before? Or are you seeing anything differently? I think next generations are potentially more self-aware and more mindful of the risks you know i think i grew up in a in a generation where you know yeah sign me up you had, exactly I'm ready. The sign me, the I'm, ready. Sign me, I'm ready sign me up and i'll do what it takes you know this, yes, this yes. you know this is a generation where 
everything is so much more transparent. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I, I was brought up before a glass door. You know, I, I wasn't able to find out much about my future employers, you know, from, from genuine people that were working in the company and so, you know, and so forth. I had to go with what the brochure said and what my, you know, sometimes good, sometimes not so good network was going to tell me about that company. In today's transparent world, you know, there is, you know, much more of a questioning. I mean, I, I distinctly remember this happened, you know, a few years back. I was on a lift. And there were two, I think there were graduates, you know, chatting with each other. And they were asking, you know, how is your assignment going? And, and one of them was saying, oh, not very good. You know, I'm not learning enough. I may have to move. I was shocked because, A, I don't think I would have shared my thoughts in an open lift, you know, when, when I was, <laughs> you know, in my early 20s. <laughs> and secondly, right. I would not have had that criticism. I would like, well, yeah, it's going like, you know, I'm not learning that much, but, you know, it's the due that you have to pay to get to where you want to go. And I think, you know, people now are refreshingly more critical in some of those situations and, you know, being more willing to move. And though I didn't aspire to work all my life for one company, it was still happening a little bit more often, you know, when I joined, you know, the you know, the, the, the working world, you know, in the 90s. And now I think everybody assumes that they will be working for multiple organizations and they may come back to the same organization and be a boomerang if that makes sense for them. So I certainly, you know, observe a more critical, healthy, you know, critical mindset in new generations. And I think that's good. I think that becomes and makes it demanding for employers. We need to be attractive, you know, to all our colleagues, regardless of generations. We have to be attractive. We have to offer a great employee value proposition if you want to use the lingo. But we have to be a magnet for for talent. And that, you know, means understanding them as individuals too, because not everybody you know, is or has the same currency. You know, some people do still want that, you know, kind of like, what's the quickest way to get to CEO? What experience do I want to? Others are much more interested in lateral careers. Others want to slow down at some point. So, you know, it's more complex in that way. We certainly live in a more complex world. And that also plays into being a leader in this greater complex type of world. It's a bigger ask too. Jorge, what are some keys to success, would you say, in managing one's career? You've seen some who have aspirations and and navigate well towards those and some that perhaps have a more windy journey or don't reach their goals. What do you see? What are a couple things that you would say are keys to success in managing one's working career? I'll be candid. I, I certainly don't have the keys. Uh, and I don't think there is a set <laughs> I was of hoping keys. you did. I'm afraid there's no, no magic king, key to the kingdom <laughs> of eternal success. But I have observed, I have observed a, few, you know, a few things. I think self-awareness is absolutely important. I have some of the best leaders that didn't quite make it were, were the ones that were nearly as intelligent as they thought they were, but not quite. You know, their ego were one step ahead of, you know, of that. So being humble, being self-aware, take risk, manage your ego and understand. One of my toughest moments personally was when I let my ego take over. You know, I, I was offered a job that five other people had failed over the prior three years. And I thought, sure, I would do it. I mean, the answer may have been the same, but I should have negotiated with that leader you know, a much different context, which I didn't. Learning from what the others exactly, said. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'm special. You know, I'm sure three other people failed before, but I'm going to be me. And, 
they didn't quite work out. And I'm not saying it was me. There was a bunch of different things. And I'm sure part of it was me, absolutely. But you know what? I, when I look back, what I didn't do enough is pause at that time. I was charmed by first time being on an executive committee and you know all of those things and thinking that, sure, I'm sure that you know I've got what it takes to make it work. And knowing what I know now, I would have negotiated so much more and I would have had a much more candid conversation with that leader and I've said, well, hold on a second, I'm honored and flattered, but there's three dead bodies behind here. What's going on? What do we need to do differently? I love this point because if there were things that really are required to actually make a change, to be successful for, for them and for you, if they're not willing to do that, then you have your answer before you even start, right? Exactly, exactly. And that's when as you go through your career, you've got those learning moments. So for me, you know, is analyze the situation very carefully. Yes, you've been successful. All of us, you know, have been at different moments in time. That is not guaranteed that the next step is also going to work out. You need to understand the context in that sense. But I think that if, you know, if you're self-aware, if you're humble, if you're curious, and the last thing I would add is that you need a certain degree of passion for what you do. I mean, I think that there's not a better moment to be in HR, as an example, which is the profession that I've chosen. I think we, we are at a particular juncture that makes our potential contribution so unique and so relevant for the business success that is, you know, something that wakes me up every morning with the drive. But you need to have that drive. You need to have that, you know, that passion. And if it's not there, then it's time to make a move. Everybody wants to work in an inclusive culture in whatever organization they work in. They want to belong and feel really included and the ability to be successful at their best and have impact. Any thoughts on how one can really do their best work, feel at their best when they feel different, when they feel that their diversity is not appreciated or embraced or even the opposite of that. It's it's a problem. You've lived and worked all over the world, outside your native culture. You may have even experienced this, but certainly in your role, you see you know, examples of, of where somebody navigates this well and maybe where it's a challenge. What advice would you give to an individual on if you're feeling diverse, you know, how do you you know, forget changing everybody else, but how do you personally sort of navigate this challenge? So a few thoughts on that topic. I think the first one is you have to do your homework. So I'll, I'll address if you're already there, but particularly, as I said, in an environment today that offers so much information, you know, make sure that the organization that you, know, you join is one where inclusion is important. Every other week, I personally address our new hires on our global onboarding. And I tell them, like, we've hired each one of you for some very specific reasons and for the whole person that you are. This onboarding session is not the first step of making you all the same. We need you to retain the uniqueness. Now, they will be the judges of that, you know, and I ask them to, you know, keep us honest on, you know, on that question. But I think doing your homework, knowing where you're getting yourself into. Now, if you happen to find yourself in that context where, whatever you bring is not quite appreciated or the diversity that you bring makes you feel you know excluded you'll have some tough questions to answer to yourself culture is so important and is a difficult one to swim against life is short 
So I'll just leave it at that. Now, there are times where it's absolutely the right thing to be the summon going against the current and you can you know, create more momentum and the organization can change. And there are times where that might not be what is worth for you, individual, as it's an individual type of questions. I think sometimes it's also easy to put it all on you. You know, so distinguishing between is it about me or is it about the organization? And sometimes it's the context and understanding the context a little bit better. And let's see if this example of mine works. But the first time I went to Japan many years ago. For a visit? For business. For business. I was there on business and I was doing a train the trainer. So I was training line managers on a particular approach and they were going to become our master trainers. So, you know, it was important for them to be attentive and take notes and, you know, the typical thing because they were going to carry the baton. So on my first day um, doing the training and I noticed that there is a couple of people sleeping on the back. Literally, I'm not joking. They were absolutely, you know, sleeping. And for the next, you know, three, four hours, I'm like sweating. I mean, this is my first time in Japan. I don't know. It, 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 it was quite a foreign culture for me being Spaniard. What am I doing wrong? What do I do? And, you know, and so forth. I'm putting all the emphasis on me, 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 me. What's, what's about me? What am I not doing right? You know, what do I need to change? And, you know, and so forth. So on lunchtime, I go to my Japanese colleague and say, oh, my God, wait, this is terrible. What am I doing wrong? Please help me out. What's wrong with me? And he said, there's nothing wrong with you. No, no, no. You know, this happens in Japan. You know, some people have very, very long commutes. They probably had a business dinner last night. I will have to find a way to catch them up. But this is not about you. It's like, oh, my God, I've been torturing myself for the last, you know, few hours thinking that it's all about me and what do I need to change? And sometimes that's the case, but sometimes it isn't. So I think we also kind of like be very clear about is it about me or is it about something else that is going on? And do I understand that that is going on? Do I understand enough about the history and the context and the culture and the habits, whatever might be, you know, the case? But don't put all the monkeys on your back. You know, life will give you enough. Make sure that the ones that you carry are the ones that are you on in that sense. Yeah, well said. Well said, Jorge. You've navigated your own career and made so many pivots along the way. Any insights, any learnings you might share just from your own ability to shift and pivot and stay agile along the way? So a couple of thoughts around that. I think that I'm lucky in that working in HR, I can change sectors easily, much easier than in other you know, professions. And I have fully taken advantage of, you know, of that. You know, I've worked in banking, I've worked in insurance, in healthcare, now for the first time, you know, in software. So to me, that is a big plus because my personality, I'm a curious chap. I like learning about different sectors and how do those business work? You know, how do they create value for their customers? So that's on the one, you know, on the one hand, I think putting that to good use, knowing your strengths and building from your strengths. You know, there's a lot written around addressing your gaps. And I think that's important too, because I don't think it's an either or. And then there's a little bit of a, a fight out there whether, you know, you should work on your strengths and leverage those, or you should work, you know, on your kind of like developmental areas. And to me, it's the wrong choice. It's the wrong dilemma. You probably, you know, need to do a little bit of both. Of course, leveraging your strengths and knowing what those are, you know, is critical to promote your career. So I know that I enjoy getting into messy places. So 
I joined Honeywell, and you'll remember this, you know, at a time where they had nearly been bought up by GE. So that was a messy, you know, it was a messy time. I've joined Sage about six months after they had a profit warning. It was a messy time. I like messiness, and I like because it gives me the opportunity to make a difference on the short, medium, and sometimes longer term. But I like that ability to make a difference on the short term and then plant a tree and, you know, make a difference in the medium, you know, in the medium. So knowing that and pivoting your career, you know, around that. So sure, maybe one day I, I, I would want to work and I guess GE are not as strong as they used to be, but at Crotonville, you know, if you're in leadership development, that was like the Mecca, you know, and so forth. But to me, you know, I'm probably less motivated by working for a company that it's an 100% that are trying to get two or 3% more in terms of best in class and excellence. I enjoy more the company that, you know, is maybe a little bit more muddy and where there is, you know, more kind of like roll your sleeves and start, you know, shoving things out of the way to make a difference. And then I think, you know, flexibility has helped me quite a lot, you know, through my career. I mean, I, I grew up, I think by the time I, I finished school, I had been to at least nine different schools, seven different cities. And those are just personal, I mean, not my decisions, but, you know, for family reasons, we moved quite a lot. And that has made me quite flexible slash adaptable. Now, that also comes sometimes with, with a price to pay. So you also need to be aware you know, of that. And then take the opportunity. When I left one of the organizations, I set up my own business and did that for a, you know six to nine months. And I learned that probably not quite my thing, too lonely for me to be an independent consultant. I mean, I, I, did, I did some interesting work. I went to the Middle East and you know, learned a bunch of different things, but it was too lonely for me. So I know that if I was ever to do that again, I would probably go to a small boutique rather than to set up my own shop. So make the most of, of the opportunities and keep that learning journal whether it's digital or, or you're old-fashioned like me and you write things down. But those are some of the things that come to mind. Jorge, what's a last piece of career advice that you might share with us? This one is one that a senior leader shared with me. He talked about keeping things in balance. And he talked about three things, health, family, and work. So he said, look, if you're not healthy, and we're talking about mind, we're talking about physical health, you know, in the long term, you're not good for anyone. You know, family, loved ones, your network, whomever you want to put in that bucket, so to speak, and that is important for you, and making sure that you spend enough time for them, and finally work. And I think all of us through life will prioritize some of those, you know, in different degrees at different points. But being aware of what's the right balance for you at this moment in time, and making sure that you do not burn totally out any of them. You know, if you pay no attention whatsoever to health for too long, you will end up paying a price for it. Now, yes, there are times where you pay less attention to it, but being conscious about it, making that decision deliberately, that's, I would say, what's important. And making sure that, sure, you know what, last year was just an intense year. We're going through an M&A. I couldn't, you know, do my exercise, whatever might be the case, but I'm aware of it got a catch-up plan, sort of, you know, so to speak. So being deliberate around, you know, what's important for you and how you prioritize those. I think that that's, that's what's, you know, important to me. And the last one for me would be being bold. So because I'm so flexible and adaptable, you know, sometimes I keep too much of my boldness in my pocket. So, you know, most leaders will say, particularly when it comes to tough decisions, that you wait too long. And I was also one of those leaders that I waited too long for tough decisions. I don't anymore. I bring those tough decisions, you know, much earlier on. I think we, we would all agree that when it comes to those, most leaders would say, yeah, 
I should have done that earlier. Very few people said, oh, no, no, I should have waited longer. So, and I'm not only talking about negative decisions, you know, there, there are all sorts of decisions that require that boldness, you know, around that. So that's what I've been working on for the last 10 years. And, you know, I'm sure I'll keep on working on that for the next, you know, 10 more. But I mean, I, I think enjoy the journey, enjoy the learning. As I said earlier on, I do think that all of us have great potential and our challenge is to live up to it. So whatever you can do to live to your potential, you know, go ahead, put it in practice. Beautiful. Jorge, thank you so much for being with us and for being so open. There's so many insights that you've shared and for your stories that also really brought things to life and for sharing so personally with us. Thank you so much. Mary, my pleasure. Always great to chat with you. And thank you for those of you listening. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Hurray. For more resources on this topic, visit us on modern-career.com and on social media at modern underscore career. We'll include all the sources noted in this episode in our show notes. Look forward to talking again very soon. Mm-hmm.